Welcome to the Readings Podcast, a celebration of books. I'm Nico Callaghan. In today's episode, a discussion with Catherine Kovacic, author of Seven Sisters, a twisting, intriguing crime novel for fans of The Mother and The Family Doctor. Seven Sisters is a compelling, morally ambiguous psychological thriller set where Patricia Highsmith meets Alex Michalides. Kovacic was interviewed by Readings Programming Manager, Chris Gordon. Here's Chris. Hello, hello everybody. My name is Christine Gordon and I look after some of the events that happen at Readings and some of the podcasts that happen at Readings and I am delighted today to be able to introduce you all to Catherine Kovacic who has written quite an extraordinary book called Seven Sisters. Now the reason that I'm so taken with this particular book is because it covers two of my favourite things in literature women's friendships, and also women being vigilantes in some ways. I mean, not in some ways, clearly vigilante in Seven Sisters. This book is a thriller, but it is more than that. It's a social commentary, I believe, on the state of the play around the issues of violence against women. Catherine, if we were in an elevator right now, how would you describe your book. Wow, Christine, thanks for that introduction, first of all. The book is, well, the the elevator pitch is a group of women meet at a therapy session for trauma counselling. Each of the women has lost a sister to domestic violence. And in each of those cases, the perpetrator wasn't really held to account. Either they got off scot-free or got a sentence that was so light, it was insultingly laughable. And so understandably, those women are not only grieving, they're very angry. And they come up with a plan to redress the balance by taking out the original perpetrators, exchanging the hits in a way such that the woman who's connected to the crime will have an alibi and the woman who carries out the hit has absolutely nothing to do with anything. And uh, then we go on from there. I was uh, interested that you talked about the sort of influence of this story straight up in your book where you talk about the strangers on the train, so that the reader is immediately brought into, in a way, into the the plot of this story. Are you a huge Hitchcock fan? I am a Hitchcock fan, not just for the stories he produces, but for the way he sets the scene and the way he reveals things and shows things to us. It's quite a brilliant cinematographer. But, of course, we have to remember the stories that he used for his film, so Patricia Highsmith in that case. That's right, that's right. One of the other sort of elements of this story that really moved me was the way that you talked about how these women come together into this room and slowly the different personalities are drawn out and Mia, who is the therapist, has brought together these women because they've all suffered loss but also because their personalities make up the perfect jigsaw, if you like. How much fun was that to put together? It's a lot of fun, but it was also, it was a little bit of a headache at the start because I knew I was going to have this big cast of characters to juggle and I didn't want to overwhelm people with getting confused with who was who. So it was very important that you could see those individual personalities without being too much drawn into backstories and everyday lives. You needed just just the right amount to see who these women were and to see what was motivating them to to do what they were doing. 
and to carry you forward into the story and, and to see how they handle their different situations, I guess. Yeah, I found that when I was reading it, I was sort of looking for who I would be. I imagine that many readers have said this type of thing to you as well. What are the links to our everyday life? Because one of the elements of your story is that by a sleight of hand, this could be anyone. This situation could be anyone. For me, that was very much it, that these are these are normal people, well, other than their, you know, the extreme circumstances, but they're everyday people. They don't have, you know, ninja skill sets or anything like that. So they have to come up with a way to tackle their problem that falls within that remit, that things that they can achieve, things that they can do, and obviously without being caught. And yes, the, the idea of which one would you be like? Could you could you carry out that? How would you do it? Is, mm. is I guess the big question, you know. And so I don't want to say to say which which is your favorite sort of killing, but how would you go about it if you were in this circumstance? Because it is something that that you could very well find yourself in. That's right, and that's where the commentary seems to come into your story. You're making a very clear statement that it's not good enough. The law is not working enough for women. That's absolutely true. And I think we see that again and again in the media. You know, we've had a case recently where, yes, the guy's gone to jail now, but only after he's actually murdered her and he was out on bail for other things and he'd threatened her and she'd said to people that she was terrified. As one commentator has said, this is murder in slow motion that we see again and again. And and domestic violence, it's, it's a hidden epidemic in our society. In Australia, on average, one woman a week is being murdered by a current or former partner. And it's not something that we talk about enough. It's not something that we address properly. There's just not enough in place to support and help these women and to, to break this cycle. Was that the purpose of this story for you, that you just wanted to highlight this pandemic, if you like, of violence against women, that you too had felt like we had reached a state in our society that this was not working, the way that the law was conducting itself? Yeah, I think that was the seed for it, that I'd had I'd had sort of the basis for this story in my head for quite some time, but I wasn't sure how to bring it to the page because domestic violence isn't something that we talk about and it's not something that people want to look at closely. And I think then on top of that, I had that idea of the, the Pleiades and the legend about that, the star cluster and, you know, a man hunting women to assault and ultimately murder them. And that story is over 100,000 years old and that was mm. just like 100,000 years and we're still we're still looking at this and doing this and nothing's changed. And that kind of gelled with my original idea and, and pulled the story forward for me. I actually love that you do make references at different times in your novel to this great Greek mythology. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about how the seven stars came to be? Sure. So there's a a constellation. It's actually sort of the Taurus constellation and there's a star cluster there, which we know as the Seven Sisters, which is actually the Pleiades. And it has this nickname, the Seven Sisters, because of ancient mythology, both in the Greek culture, but across many other cultures, including First Nations Australians that tell of seven women who were turned into stars, so effectively killed to keep them safe from the, to put it delicately, unwanted attentions of a man in the Greek mythology. It's the giant Orion. And ultimately he becomes a star cluster too and he continues to chase them across the sky for all eternity. Now, first of all, this idea that how we keep the women safe, we'll isolate them. So 
reclaim the night. You know, women who are told just stay home, don't go out at night because it's mm. not safe. We don't tackle the perpetrators. We don't tackle the problem. We just, you know, look at that. And so in terms of the stars, you know, when you're looking at the stars, it's very easy to see which way the male figure is going. He's definitely heading towards that small group of women. But they're just there. So that was what gave me my trigger. What if they're not still running? What if they'd, they'd turned around to fight back? Yeah. I thought it was terrific, actually, that you just brought in this notion that actually women haven't been safe since the beginning of time. Mm. And that we always, as a society, seem to look at the women to change their behaviour as opposed to the other way around, as opposed to putting the emphasis on the perpetrator. I know that your background is in art history and you've sort of switched over to be a novelist at some time. It seems to me that you've had this broad range of careers where you've been a vet, you've looked at art historian, and now you're this author. What are the influences of these past careers have had on your writing? What what Did they sort of bring the Greek mythology in, in a way, do you think? I, I think they perhaps did. I was researching astrology for a different project when I was looking at that myth, but certainly looking at art history, you know, we, you look at a lot of those myths because that's sort of, you know, through that Renaissance period, there are okay. so many mythological paintings and things. Although, interestingly, there are hardly any of Orion, the you know, the perpetrator in that one. There's only one or two and never, never have I seen, although there probably are some, a painting of him actually pursuing the women. So that's really interesting that that's, mm. you know, we have those Susanna and the Elders paintings and, and all those stories, again, about the woman being blamed for the deprivations of the men. But certainly art history has that kind of influence that you do look at those old stories and the way people interpret them and the way that changes through time. There's a character in your book, The Detective, and she is also facing, I guess, this moral quandary in her life as well. She understands that the perpetrators get away for free. She understands that women are terrified of violence and yet she still needs to follow the law because that's the deal that she's made with herself. Using that character, was that you? Are you that character? Are you the detective? Oh, gosh, I hadn't even thought of that. What a great question. I don't think so. But, I, you know, again, that's something that we see, you know, that there are police and people doing their absolute best to bring these perpetrators to justice, but they get bail or they get out or it's that short sentence. And how must that feel when you've done your job and you've got the evidence and you've presented the case and then it gets pled down to, oh, it was, you know, it was manslaughter, you know, even though he lay in wait and, you know, did whatever. There was a case in the UK recently where that happened and it was clear that he had planned this for a long time, you know, to the point of digging a grave in a remote location yeah. and it gets brought back to, oh, just manslaughter, you know. And so the frustration that that must be and the thought that also the thought that you're coming in when it's already too late, you know, that this has all been going on for so long because, you know, these perpetrators don't just wake up one morning and kill someone. It's been going on for a long time before then. So the frustration that the police officers must feel when they work so hard and that's where it ends up just must be so hard to deal with. Catherine, I would argue the frustrations of the crime writer as well. Here you are creating this kind of perfect scenario, but yet 
you as the scribe, as the person that's in control of it all, has to be even-handed all the way through. That's why I think that I thought that there was some sort of connection with you and the detective because that whole moral quandary was actually, you know what's right, you know what's wrong, you're creating some murky ground and the only thing, therefore, that you have to follow is the law. As you know, the detective comes in later to the story, but that's just the point where her path intersects with with that of the women. But she was always in my head that that she was going to be there. So you're very probably right. That's kind. That's very kind of you. There's some sassiness to this book. I like that so much. Often I find in crime novels there's a certain pace that's followed. The reveals are known. You, You know as a reader when you're going to come across these sort of reveals. You you played with the reader, I think, a little more, and that's the sassiness that I'm talking about. Was that on purpose or is that just the style? Is that just who you are? Gosh, I think it's a bit of both. I think I, I do like to, to play with readers, and, I mean, certainly this book is it's about asking you, you know, to question your own morals and, who you know, which side are you on here. So that it, the whole thing, in a way, is a big play. But certainly, yes, I, I do like to... I think generally in, in the writing I do like to sort of to twist things around a little bit so that you're not quite sure if this is the bit or if you, you think you're getting there and then it's not quite what you thought it was going to be. So there's definitely that element, but I think I did specifically set out to to mess with people a bit in this book. You really messed with my head quite a lot, actually. I'm interested in what sort of research that you had to do. And, I mean, obviously you are someone who has been involved in the crime writing scene for quite some time. You're already an established and successful author. I I can sort of imagine that you are the type of person that reads the paper and cuts articles out. But yet there's these scenarios where the women are conducting their revenge pieces for what? The, The revenge scenes. Did you have to do research on those sort of scenarios, I'm thinking in particular without wanting to give too much away of, say, the boat scene, mm-hmm. the parties on the boats. Was that was that you, Catherine, going off to one of those all-night parties? Sadly not. I'm, I'm not an all-night party sort of person. Sadly not in that case. But, yes, I do do a lot of research both in terms of setting up the scenarios and in the way the hits were going to play out because obviously the idea is that they're going to look like, you know, suicides or accidents or things like that. So that's a, a particular thing to sit in. And then I needed, you know, I needed six of them, so six different things to come up with. As a former vet, I have a fairly high gore tolerance. So um, when I'm researching, I'm, I can go right into the sort of scientific papers on, you know, what happens to a body when it's been floating around for two or three weeks? And can you still extract, you know, toxicology things from body tissues at that point? And there are some quite graphic scientific papers out there, I can tell you. So doing all that research to work out what, what was going to be plausible for these women to achieve within, you know, the skill set that they had and, yes, how things were going to to play out and, you know, tides in Sydney Harbour and all those sorts of things. Um, yeah, so a bit of research went into this one. So I'm trying to imagine your day as a writer. I mean, I actually am trying to do that. What I'm imagining is that you start the day with your coffee and a range of newspapers. Then if, if it's a beautiful day, you, I don't know, bike out to the, to the harbour, check the tides, talk to somebody. Then you come back and write a beautiful thousand words a day. Have I got the picture right or not? 
It's not quite as, as perfect as that, <laughs> but I'm a very early riser. So I actually go for a walk first thing in the morning, about 4.30 in the morning. And that's my sort of let the ideas settle and percolate time. And I try, I try not to think about stuff that I, you know, all those annoying things that you have to do, like pay bills and you know, things like that. Like admin. All that sort of thing. Exactly. So I just try and let that be my percolating time. And, um, and then when I come back, that's, that's the coffee and get some writing in then. And then I'll, I'll try and do more of the research in the afternoon, but because of the way my brain works, if I hit a point where I need that detail, I have to go off and research. I can't, I'm not an author that can fill in the blanks later. I have to to follow my thoughts and the the plot through then. So um sometimes that's, you know, going out and talking to people. Sometimes that's just hitting research. Sometimes it's it'll be the state library or the archives, depending on on what aspect I'm working on. And sometimes yes, it's it's going off on a road trip to to talk to people on the ground and see the lay of the land too. So with a book like this, with Seven Sisters, it has such a strong feminist overtone which I just enjoyed so much because I often find in crime writing we don't get that sense of like a political statement, if you like. Would you describe yourself as a feminist? I know that you describe yourself on your website as a tango dancer and a lover of, you know, cats and dogs and and but would you also add the title feminist? I think so. I'm not, you know, I'm not political in that sense, but I, I think... He's having written one of the great <laughs> revenge novels of 2022-23. Thank you for saying that. But, yeah, I, I think so because I, I think I just get so annoyed and angry at all those little things that I see, those, you know, those injustices. And talking to women, you know, throughout the research for this book and hearing some of the things, you know, like a woman who went to the police and he'd gone there first and told his, his you know, quote-unquote side of the story, which was basically, ah, you know, we had an argument and so she's going to come and tell you X, Y, Z. And so by the time she gets there, you know, they're saying, yeah, love, well, he's telling a different story and gets completely dismissed by that. You know, women who want to stay in prison because that's the only place they're safe. Yeah. I think, you know, you, you've got to get angry about that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think I'm a feminist. I think you're a feminist too. I think you are. I think there's no way out of it. I think once you know something, there's such a responsibility to then act on it in a way and you have chosen to use words, which is the most powerful way, I believe, of spreading stories, of making change. The detective and the women, the characters in this book, deal with the notion of success in an in a unusual way. Their notion of success is so extreme in our everyday life. Have they actually achieved peace? Have they been successful in that? Have they achieved what they set out to do, this sort of revenge? Have they been the best that they can be in the scenarios where they knew in the early days that their sisters were being violated? Was that something that you set out to do as well, to make that quandary of what is success in someone's life a gray murky area and a personal achievement or were you setting out to make a grander statement no I think success was definitely a part of it because because of that idea of of failing the sister in the first instance that you, you didn't see or you didn't 
act enough and that's you know that that survivor guilt that's there too i always think of it as the slipstream of success you know the the slipstream of if only that we all live at different times in our lives absolutely absolutely and then even having achieved what they set out to achieve as you say does that does that bring them peace? You know, we we talk often about closure for the the families of victims, but I don't think there's ever really closure when a member of your family has been murdered. You know, you you reach a point where you're coping, where you know you you're, you're dealing with that, but I don't think you can ever say there's closure. So, is success reaching that point? You know, and even in in our everyday lives, you know, you can reach a level of success, but if you want it to be, there's always another hill you could climb. So. It's about finding the level within yourself that you're comfortable with. Mm. And have, have these women achieved that? Has Ulbrick, the detective, achieved it? Well, hmm. we, we can't give away too much. It is the type of story that you read slowly at the start, you know, as you're sort of making your way through the different characters and their backstories and their emotion. But as always, when in a good crime novel, the last half of your novel, you read so quickly as a reader because you're so desperate to find out what happens and you pick up sort of at speed. There were moments of great heartbreak in the book, absolute sadness and agony, I think, that these women have experienced. Did you talk to women to get their stories or how did you gather that kind of emotional information? Yeah, I, I talked to a number of women and I guess that's that's the short answer. So, yeah, yeah. And, and people who worked in that area too, several prison wardens who were, you know, working in women's prisons and working with these women who were keeping themselves safe in the only way they could find to keep themselves safe. When you're talking to women to gather sort of information, are they pleased that you're writing a book about it? Are they, what's the sort of reaction? Once you've sort of explained what the book is and that in that sense it's not going to be their story and there's not going to be any detail, but where the story is going, yes, they want a light shone on. They don't want this to happen to other women. And mm-hmm. that idea that if you get yourself free of an abusive relationship, there's the next woman and and the guilt that so many of these women are feeling for, you know, I, I got out of this, but he's going to move on to someone else. And if I try and do anything, he's going to, you know, is he going to turn around and come back for me? And that horrible dilemma and that guilty feeling, and this comes into the book too, that it's not just a revenge thing, it's it's about that next woman and the one after that as well. Yeah, it's about women looking after women. Yeah. There's that feminist side of things again. <laughs> no escaping. Catherine, if there was a message that you wanted your readers to take away from this book, apart from it being, you know, dare I say, an entertaining an intriguing read, what would it be? I think the message is about justice. What is real justice and what should we be doing and what would you be prepared to do to, to keep your loved ones safe? Yeah, I think I think that's it. What would you be prepared to do? Yeah. I mean, so many times throughout this reading of this novel, I did think oh, not only who am I out of these characters, but what, what would I do if I was ever presented into this scenario? And that displacement of emotion that you have when you realise that you're only one step away from something like this happening, that there is no one, in a sense, that's safe from something like this happening, 
makes for an interesting internal dialogue that's happening at the same time as you're reading it. Often I don't find that with crime novels. Often I'm just there for the sort of the plot twists in a way and I don't think of it as impinging on my moral sort of compass, if you like. But here you are twisting and turning the reader right around. I think that's extraordinarily clever and something that I imagine that we're going to be seeing a bit more of in the crime writing genre. What's your thoughts on that? I hope so because I think it's really interesting as a reader, as you say, to be put in that position and to, sure, there are always times where we like those, you know, the airport books that we can just get into and and just be carried along for the ride. But when you're really in a book and you really have to think about what you're doing and what this situation is, you know, because at the end of the day, in every crime book, people are getting murdered and it's easy to just, you know, well, yep, there goes another murder. And we don't think about it. So I think this is something that we're going to see more of. Do you think that that the rise of the podcast, the sort of true crime podcast, have have something to do with the way that crime writing is changing its genre in that way? I think it is because more people are paying attention to real crime, whether it's historic or contemporary. They're thinking about the victims more and they're thinking about the families of the victims and what goes on behind the scenes in that sense. So I think there is more of this, this idea of who these people are rather than just a crime has been committed and we've got to solve it. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Congratulations on The Seven Sisters. It's an enticing book. It says on the front cover, men get away with murder all the time. Now it's our turn. Immediately grips you as a reader into what this novel could potentially be. It is more than that, actually, because it is about female friendships and it is about working out I I sort of agree with myself the moral compass of where you are when you are reading something like this and is it enough as a reader just to simply read it and take those stories to the dinner parties I, I suspect not what else do you think that we could do as readers when you're so terribly moved by something like this What would be the next thing that we could do to support women? Wow, there's lots of things. Even just, you know, writing to a newspaper when there's one of those headlines that removes the crime from the headline, you know, or footballer's wife dies in fire. You know, let's let's hear that he's the perpetrator. Crushing sentence for for rapists. Well, it wasn't a crushing sentence. He, you know, raped 14 women. So correct those headlines, write to the newspapers and say, why have, you, why have you erased this crime? And then there are all sorts of support services, you know, that even just donating furniture to some of those, those organisations that set up safe housing for women escaping domestic violence. There are support services for the pets of these women because a lot of women don't leave when the pet is under threat or because they can't get into emergency accommodation with their dog. So there are services that will foster those animals while the women are getting themselves safe. So there's all sorts of places you can donate and volunteer or, as I said, even just writing a letter to the paper when they get that headline wrong. I think that's absolutely true and thank you so much for sharing those ideas. We go back to the power of words, don't we, like and how much that can change a perception of what's happening out there in society. You've done that with this book, The Seven Sisters. So as one feminist to another, Catherine, thank you. I really like the idea that if we all wrote to our papers and said, 
that heading is insulting. I, I do think that that's a very easy way for us to change the public conversation. Absolutely. And, you know, that's the first step, change the perception, bring it to the fore, and then we can really amp things up from there. Amazing. Catherine Kovacic, Seven Sisters, read it because you enjoy crime, read it because you are a feminist, read it because what is happening in our society at the moment around the issues of domestic violence and the outcome for people that have suffered is simply not good enough. Catherine has taken that into her own hands. She's taken that into her own words. But I believe that if you read this and you start thinking about who you are in this scenario, you too can begin making the change to a safer and more inclusive community. Catherine, thank you so much for your time today. I've got one final question for you, and I do have to ask this because I'm a bookseller. What are you reading now? I am reading Age of Vice. Deepak Kapoor, so it's a, I don't want to say a sweeping saga, but it's set in India. So a crime, gang families, and, and a young man who becomes caught up in working for these families and, and how it becomes his life and potentially how he's going to ultimately extract himself from that life, or maybe not, maybe it's going to come to a bad end, but magnificent book. Yeah, it's getting quite a lot of good press. Do you read widely, Catherine? Are you one of those people, or do you stick to a sort of a genre? No, I, I read all sorts of things, so um, a lot of biography and history as well, but, um, yeah, you can see some of my books in the background, so, no, I, I just read whatever whatever looks interesting and sounds interesting and, I'll just grab it. Mm, mm, mm. Spoken like every bookseller <laughs> I've ever come across. <laughs> thank you so much for your time and thank you for being part of the Readings Podcast. Thank you, Christine. Seven Sisters is available from all reading stores and from our website. We'll also find all kinds of other recommendations, great books, music, film and TV. You can also sign up to e-news or to receive our free monthly newsletter, The Readings Monthly. The Readings Podcast is produced by me, Nico Callaghan. The show's music is by Tom Hoskins. All episodes of this show are recorded and produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to acknowledge traditional owners and pay my earnest respects to elders past, present and those to come. Thank you.